Well, very good. Well, as you know, uh, Janet and I just uh, came back from um, uh, Israel for a couple of weeks visiting Jason, primarily visiting Jason and doing a few other things. I thought I'd share a little bit about about that as it relates to uh, both uh, the Haftorah portion for today uh, and uh, also the importance of place uh, in, uh, in the Bible and what and what that even what that even means. So you know, next year uh, we're going to Israel, uh, twenty twenty Beth Messiah going to Israel. I think we're leaving the last day of May, something like that, the last day of May, and going uh, for almost two weeks uh, to Eretz Israel. We're going to see a lot of uh, neat things. Uh, on this particular trip. Uh, we did a couple of different things. Our, our main goal was to visit uh, Jason, so we did, what, we did what parents do when you visit your, your son or daughter. We visited their school, right, uh, Hebrew University. But, you know, the thing about uh, uh, visiting a, a university there versus u- visiting a university here is we couldn't get in <laughs> because you have to have a pass to get in uh, to the campus. Uh, uh, so, you know, we walked around the outside of it, and Jason had a meeting, so Janet and I uh, hung out at a little coffee shop nearby, which was kind of a fun thing to do. You know, we uh, went to Jason's apartment, saw where he lived, and, you know, that, that kind of thing that, uh, that you do as parents. But uh, a lot of it was uh, hanging out in Jerusalem, uh, and Jason took us to lots of interesting places which is for the benefit of all of us who are going on this trip next year. Because uh, now I have learned some uh, additional interesting places to go, like at night, you know, and things like that. Very, very interesting. We went to a little um, Hebrew music museum, which is fascinating, which is uh, Jewish music from around the world where Jewish people have lived. And Fascinating, fascinating stuff, uh, and other places uh, as well. Uh, we also visited uh, my uh, my family, my cousins, uh, who live in two different uh, uh, places, in one in the central part of the country and one way, way, way south. And uh, very, very interesting. Um, uh, my um, my uh, cousins have been living there, going back to World War One. Uh, and uh, therefore, my my older cousins uh, have fought in all the war, you know, like the history of Israel, right there, you know, in all of the wars, and shared a very interesting, some very interesting stories about this particular Moshav. Uh, so we were standing in one particular location, and there was uh, like a, just a field, you know, behind us. So we were told that uh, this field in 1947 was a British airfield. Uh, and uh, uh, in 19, early 1948, when the British uh, knew they were leaving, they abandoned this airfield. Uh, and so uh, the Moshav, which had become really commissioned as the part of the Haganah, the, the whole Moshav, the whole village, it became uh, an airfield to receive weapons from Czechoslovakia, which, if you know the history, that's where uh, Czechoslovakia is a country where uh, 
Israel received many of the weapons to be able to fight in the War of Independence. So it was really quite, uh, quite fascinating to learn those kinds of things and all about the agriculture. I shared uh, some pictures on Instagram and on Facebook. You can see all of them. Just uh, very, very, very interesting. We were way down in the Arava, in, the, in that part of the Negev, where it's like being on the surface of the moon. Uh, and then uh, you come across uh, greenhouses as far as the eye can see. And there's uh, several little villages in the middle of nowhere at the Jordanian border where they grow all kinds of uh, fruit and vegetables and, and so on. And, and it just really reminds you, you know, of God's blessing uh, on, uh, on the land of Israel and Eretz Yisrael to be able to grow uh, fruit and vegetables, uh, you know, in that part of the world is just only can come by the hand of God and the ingenuity that he gave uh, the Jewish people <laughs> to, uh, you know, to develop the drip irrigation and all that kind of, all that kind of thing. Uh, we spent a couple of days, I hired a tour guide for a couple of days, and we went uh, to two very interesting places. We went to Mount Gerizim, uh, and therefore we saw Mount Eval as well, if you're familiar with that, you know, in, in the Bible. And, and then in the valley is where Shechem uh, was, a lot of Bible history uh, there. Uh, and then we visited Shiloh or Shiloh, very interesting. So we did that on one day. And then on another day, we went down to Hebron uh, and saw the cave of Machpelah. Uh, and also, very interesting, uh, what looked like, like an abandoned lot, <laughs> you know, uh, is the beginning of an archaeological uh, dig, which is believed to be where David uh, was anointed as king at, at Hebron. Very, very, very interesting. And then we uh, spoke to some of the Jewish people that live in Hebron. And that's another story for another day. But uh, that was also quite, uh, quite fascinating. Um, so that was uh, great. I saw Dawn. We saw Dawn Urich. We had lunch with her and saw her school and all that. So that was really uh, uh, very nice as well. Uh, and I will say I ran all over Jerusalem. Where Yeshua walked, I ran. I just want you to know. It, and, uh, and what was really interesting, actually, about that is it really helped me to see where everything is in Jerusalem. Because, you know, uh, when we do a tour, you're at the hotel, and then you get on a bus, and then you just appear at another place, and then you're at another place. And, and so I learned a lot about Jerusalem itself, which is also really helpful for our tour, because what I learned is that you can walk to lots of places, uh, not just the old city and Ben Yehuda Street. But there's lots of places you can walk to in all different directions if you just know where to go and how to get there. So uh, that also, I think, will be really, uh, really helpful to us. And lots of, um, you know, lots of other things, um, lots of other things as, as well. So, uh, you know, thanks for your prayers. And Jason says hi. And and uh, he uh, is going to do his best to make himself available uh, with us, uh, to be with us for at least a day, you know, to, to maybe travel with us. Another thing, I guess I'll just say this about what we learned is especially when we went to both Gerizim and Hebron, because they're both located in the West Bank. 
Uh, and uh, so it was fascinating just to go to travel there to see uh, Arab villages and Jewish settlements and just kind of what's going on uh, over there. So we really, really learned a lot, uh, learned a lot about it. So very good. And uh, looking forward, I hope that you'll be able to go soon. Oh, very soon. You'll hear a price and you'll hear the specifics and all of that. And again, uh, we're going the last day of May uh, next year, and I hope that uh, you'll be able to uh, travel with us, because I will say, and I know others will agree with me that you've, if you've been there before, one of the most exhilarating things on a tour, on our tour, is going with people that have never been. That is like so much fun, I can't tell you. Just a lot of fun. And, uh, you know, uh, when we go to Israel, it's not, only, it's not just about visiting the Holy Land. You're visiting Israel. You're visiting the Jewish homeland. And so we learn about not only the biblical sites and biblical history, but the history of the modern state of Israel, and then also enjoying the land. You know, the, the, the sights, the smell, the food, the whole thing, you know? And uh, so it really is a great adventure, and I hope that you will uh, join us for that. Very good. Oh, and I met our tour guide. I met up with our tour guide at a coffee shop. Her name is Sonia, uh, and it was really, uh, it was a very, very good. I explained to her exactly who we are, and, and uh, you know, I will tell you this. I, uh, she was very impressed with something about us that very few groups do. And also, uh, my friend Ariel, uh, who uh, was our tour guide for a couple of days uh, with us. And that is that uh, we don't tour on Shabbat. And they thought that was, like, fantastic. Of course, personally, it was fantastic for them because uh, they, uh, they can be home for Shabbat. But also, just here, we're a Messianic Jewish group. You know, and, and so we don't tour on Shabbat. That, that was uh, really uh, quite a testimony to both of them. So, very good. All right. So today, I wanted just uh, to talk a little bit about the importance of place in the Bible. Uh, and as we kind of see it in the, uh, in the prayer, the great prayer of Solomon. Now, I will say that in another week or two, we're... Going to be starting a new series. Yes, we, you're saying, wait, I thought all we do is teach about Genesis here on here at Beth Messiah, right? No, uh, we have completed Genesis, uh, and uh, we will be starting uh, the book of Acts. Uh, now, not every, not every uh, part of Acts will be given the same weight, um, but uh, especially the speeches, very, very important, and other things as well. Uh, and so that'll be kind of fun. That should take us till who knows when. But, uh, but anyway, so that's coming up. Uh, but, uh, but like I said, I thought today we would talk a little bit about the importance of place. Like, like why do we go to Israel? What, what difference does it make? You know, as a, as a good friend of mine, I can't say who, but as a good uh, friend of mine uh, who was my roommate in our first UMJC tour, back in 2003, <laughs> uh, as we were walking uh, and uh, through the, uh, you know, uh, 
doing the whole Temple Mount thing and, and everything, you know. Uh, one of our great uh, rabbis at the UMJC commented to me, just, it's a bunch of rocks, you know? Uh, and uh, so I thought that was kind of interesting. It's a bunch of rocks. Yes, it is a bunch of, a good observation, my friend. It is a bunch of rocks, but those rocks have meaning. Those rocks memorialize some very important things and bring to mind the faithfulness of God in the past and what he's going to do in the future. So it's certainly those, bunch of, those bunches of rocks are, they rock, those bunches of rocks, right? So the, uh, well, but why is it important? You know, the, the, the space going, going, to, uh, going to Israel. And it has, you know, meaning on a lot of levels, right? Uh, it has meaning for us as uh, Jewish people and a Messianic people, Jewish and Gentile people and a Messianic Jewish community because we value very much Jewish culture, Jewish tradition, and the history of the Jewish people. Uh, and so uh, the land of Israel is, uh, that's what it's, you know, on one level all about. You might be surprised uh, to know that lots of Jewish people go to Israel and visit it, not because of what's in the Bible, but just because of the connection, the Jewish uh, connection. You know, in 1971, uh, my parents made their once-in-a-lifetime journey uh, to Eretz Yisrael. After the 1967 Six-Day War, lots and lots of Jewish people made the trip to, to Israel. Uh, so in 1971, my parents went there, and uh, well, what was the great memory for me? Well, I didn't go. It was just my mother and my father. Uh, but when they came back, I was subjected to something that I don't know if you've ever uh, had this experience. It, was, it bordered on oppressive, but it was sitting through a thousand slides uh, of uh, the land, like a religious experience, uh, you know, of watching the slides and, and, and all the, so you have the, all the relatives. It's almost like a little mini-series on TV, you know. But anyway, you have all the relatives uh, sitting there uh, and my mother and father, like, disagreeing about exactly where this picture was, right? You know, perhaps you've had that experience. But, but anyway, uh, Jewish people go to Israel because it's Eretz Yisrael, the land of Israel. Uh, so that, that's on one level, uh, that's why we go. Another, another reason we go is because, of course, of, of uh, the scriptures and, and seeing places uh, that uh, we read about in the Bible. And sometimes when you go and you see some of these places, you get like an aha moment. Like, I see that, wow, you know, Yeshua at, at Caesarea Philippi, you know, uh, there uh, uh, Yeshua said some very famous words to Peter and so on, and, and uh, you'll see that. The Sea of Galilee, you might wonder, is it a little pond or is it a big uh, sea? And it turns out it's probably bigger than you thought uh, that, that, it, that it might be. Uh, when uh, you travel to Jerusalem, you see uh, the hills around Jerusalem. 
Uh, in fact, I started uh, singing in the car as the mountains are around Jerusalem, right? So the Lord is all around his people. Well, you see the mountains that are around Jerusalem. And uh, so it's all, you know, kind of neat, the things that you, uh, the things that you see. You know, some people might use the, the phrase, the Bible comes alive, and in a certain respect, uh, it does. I will tell you, when we were on this trip, when we were in the desert, just to think about how our ancestors made that journey, and just people in the ancient times lived there and traveled through that, it's just amazing. Uh, amazing to uh, see. And then, of course, uh, standing on the Mount of Olives, uh, looking at, you know, at the eastern side uh, of the uh, temple, Temple Mount, uh, that is, it's amazing when you think about all of the history that has taken place there and that's going to take place there. Um, when we're together, we're going to be standing on the southern steps of the temple. And, and you're going to look over to, if you, depending on how you're standing on the steps, if you're facing down, you're going to look over to the left and you're going to say, there's the Mount of Olives. And you can just picture Yeshua as he's, uh, you know, teaching uh, about, about all of that, right, uh, right on that spot. And, uh, and even just the terrain to understand, you know, uh, how it's all connected. So I, I certainly do hope that you will uh, be with us. So there's a lot of reasons to uh, visit the land. Another reason is to be just as we support, uh, support the land of, uh, of Israel. And uh, no one goes away unsatisfied, that's for sure. So hopefully you'll, you'll be with us. Well, one of the great uh, moments in uh, Bible history, one of the great passages uh, that we read about uh, is in 1 Kings chapter 8. And this is the prayer that Solomon prays to dedicate the temple. It's a great prayer and, and uh, great worthy of, uh, you know, worthy of, of study. In our uh, MSI course, we uh, certainly pay uh, lots of attention to it. It's a very important part of the first, of the first half of First Kings. The first half of First Kings is about the building of the temple. Uh, we read in chapters uh, 6 and 7 the intricacies of, of building the temple. Uh, and you know what's kind of interesting, since we're in the neighborhood, if you go back to chapter 6, I always like to point this out. It's really very interesting. You talk about place and the importance of it and to keep things in perspective. So you have in chapter 6 just uh, basically the instructions. It's like reading an instruction manual. You know, uh, when you read 1 Kings chapter 6, you're hard-pressed a little bit to get that, to find the sweet spot, you, you know, to find that great uh, moment of devotional splendor because you're reading about uh, doorways, lower side of chambers on the right side, and so on, beams, planks of cedar. Uh, and so when you begin, we can begin reading like here um, in verse 8 of uh, chapter 6, where it says, The doorway for the lowest side chamber was on the right side of the house, and they would go up by winding stairs to the middle story, and from the middle to the third. And he built the house and finished it, and he covered the house with beams and planks of cedar. 
And he also built stories against the whole house, each five cubits high, and they were fastened to the house with timbers of cedar. Okay? Amen. And, uh, and so there you go. Now, uh, then if you jump over to verse 14, okay? Verse 14 says, So Solomon built the house and finished it. Then he built the walls of the house on the inside with boards of cedar from the floor of the house to the ceiling. He overlaid the walls on the inside with wood, and he overlaid the floor of the house with boards of cypress. So it just continues with this, this description of what the temple looked like. But verses 11 to 13 are like stuck in there. They don't really go with it. They're not, in, they're not, they're not about uh, planks and, and boards and stairways. It's like an interjection. Like in the middle of this uh, explanation, of the middle of these instructions, you have this, and by the way, okay, in verse 11, so you'll notice now. So now I'm going to go back to verse 10. And he also built the, stone, the stories against the whole house, each five cubits high, and they were fastened to the house with timbers of cedar. Now the word of the Lord came to Solomon saying, Concerning this house which you are building, if you will walk in my statutes and execute my ordinances and keep all my commandments by walking in them, then I will carry out my word which you spoke, which I spoke to David, your father. And I will dwell among the sons of Israel and will not forsake my people Israel. So Solomon built the house and finished it. And he built the walls of the house on the inside and so on. So you have this interjection there, like this great reminder that, hey, by the way, yes, here are all the instructions for building the house Make sure it looks, looks right. Make sure that you use the right screwdrivers and power tools and, you know, that the boards are the right size and everything's uh, cut, cut just right and, and looks just fine and dandy. But by the way, if you don't keep my commandments, the whole thing's a waste of time, okay? Uh, but, but, but by the way, if you walk in my statutes and my ordinances and keep my commandments by walking in them, then I'll carry out my word and I will never leave you or forsake you. So it's very, very important to understand that in the building of the temple, and this certainly applies to uh, the whole issue of place, that there is this balance between uh, what we see and how it looks uh, and the motivation behind the whole thing. So one of the things that we know from the building of the tabernacle, and when we saw that in the Darash and all of that, uh, and in the building of the temple, uh, is it was expensive and it, it was great value and everything, and, and God wanted, to be, wanted it to be just right and to look just right, because as we'll see, uh, symbols and tradition... I, you know, and the visual are very important to help us in our worship. But if we don't have a heart for God, it doesn't matter. You know, I've never been to Europe. Well, I've never been to almost all of Europe. <laughs> I, and so I've never gone on one of these uh, trips where you, you know, you like you go to Paris or other cities in Europe and visit these great cathedrals. You know, I've never done that. 
But my guess is a lot of them are, you know, for their artistry, beautiful, but very dead on the inside. And how sad, uh, how sad that is. Beauty is very important. The visual beauty is very important and very valuable to God, but not uh, by itself, but not by itself. What, what makes it beautiful is not only the artistry, but the motivation behind the artistry. Uh, and so uh, I always like to point out those verses that are, that, are inter- that are stuck in the middle of chapter 6. And uh, always important when you read the scriptures to not just read those words, but to sort of take like the snapshot of the text itself and see where it's located. And it really screams uh, at us from the middle of that passage. So at the end here, when the, te- when the temple is built, and now Solomon prays, his prayer is very significant when it comes to the issue of place. Now first, I want to just point something out. When we, talk, when we begin Acts, uh, we'll talk about this, and I'm not going to point to all the chapters, but there is something very interesting here. In Exodus chapter 40, 35, what do we read about what happens after they build the tabernacle? After they build it, we read that they can't go near because the cloud of glory is there, right? Uh, The glory of the Lord fills the tabernacle. Uh, Very interesting. You know, the name of the next book of the Bible after Exodus, right, uh, is uh, Vayikra. Not, you know, we use it at Leviticus, right? This always reminds me of like Spartacus. But uh, anyway, yes, you know, it's about the Levites. It's... uh, uh, and that's fine and dandy. But in Hebrew, the, the Hebrew name of it is uh, Vayikra, which is a very nondescript name. It means, and he called, you know, and he called. It's at the beginning of the book. Well, you know who called who? God calls Moses to come near because nobody can come near the tent of meeting because the glory of the Lord has filled the tabernacle. Very interesting. Well, here in First uh, Kings, Uh, Chapter 8, in verse 11, it says, So the priest could not stand to minister because of the cloud, for the glory of the Lord filled the house of the Lord. So here we see the temple is uh, finished, and there's that cloud of glory, the very presence of God. And then, very interesting, in the book of Acts, in the first chapter, oh, this is just like an advertisement for what's to come. It's so interesting. We read here uh, about the ascension of Yeshua. We read in verse 9 of chapter 1. And after he had said these things, he would lift it up. He was lifted up while they were looking on. And a cloud received him out of their sight. Isn't that interesting? We're just going to leave that right there. Okay. And uh, so... Here in uh, 1 Kings, we see that the temple is finished. The presence of God is there. Solomon gives a long preamble to the the prayer. But then if you go down to verse uh, 26, we see uh, here. Now, therefore, O God of Israel, let thy word, I pray thee, be confirmed, which thou hast spoken to your servant, my father David. But now he's going to teach a little theology here. A little, uh, this is very interesting what Solomon is conveying here. It's no small thing. But will God indeed dwell on the earth? 
Behold, heaven and the highest heaven cannot contain thee, how much less this house which I have built. Yet in regard to the prayer of thy servant and to his supplication, O Lord my God, to listen to the cry and to the prayer which thy servant prays to thee today, that thine eyes may be open toward this house night and day, toward the place of which thou hast said, My name shall be there, to listen to the prayer which thy servant shall pray toward this place." You're going to read over and over again toward this place. When the people pray toward this place. Uh, and so it's very, very important. You can, uh, Paul uh, read it uh, already, and so I won't repeat it. But there's an emphasis on praying toward the place while recognizing that the place is way too... I mean, the place is a puny little place. That You know, it's, it's like the... The, uh, God is everywhere, but yet the place is significant. So one of the things that, um, that uh, Solomon is saying is don't get the idea that God is confined to this location. Don't get the idea that like the, the gods of all the peoples uh, around us, uh, that God is physically living uh, in, in this house uh, and that's, that's it. No. Uh, he looks upon this house, and his presence is upon this house. His name dwells there. His essence dwells there. But God is indeed everywhere. And so the house itself comes to memorialize, to symbolize, to be a place where worshipers sense the presence of God. It's not the place where you know, God is nowhere else. But it is the designated location that God gives them for, for, for worship. You know, another thing that Solomon is implicitly teaching, implying here, is that the presence of God can be everywhere, and yet at the very same time, his presence can be manifested in a location. That's helpful uh, to us, uh, I think, when we think about Yeshua so on, right? Uh, and so this house uh, that is that we call the temple plays, uh, it's a place, and it is a place that memorializes, reminds the people, uh, and gives them a sense of the presence of God. Now, this issue about praying toward this place, it's, it's very interesting. Uh, that this is from this passage is basically where Daniel, for example, opens up the the windows and prays toward Jerusalem, uh, and that is how uh, the uh, tradition of uh, praying uh, facing east, at least when you live in these parts, people ask me, does everyone around the world pray to the east? Not necessarily, okay, uh, but uh, facing Jerusalem. And the reason you're facing Jerusalem is not because of the brick and mortar, but because of the essence of God, okay? Because do you know that according to halakha, now here's a bulletin for us. I don't know if I should say this because, well, okay. If we decided to open up the uh, ark uh, during the Amidah, 
then uh, we could face forward because the Torah scroll itself represents the presence of, of God. See? So, uh, so it's interesting that you could say that, well, when we take out the Torah scroll, it's kind of like, you know, Yerushalayim, uh, the place where uh, God dwells and, you know, in, in a traditional sort of way of remembering, uh, you know, the, uh, the, place of the, uh, the place of the dwelling of, um, of, of God. And so uh, in his prayer, by the way, when you read it, he really encourages uh, the people to pray, to pray and to confess their sins. And there's something else. And so I guess I'm going to read a little bit of it just to get the, the essence of this. In verse 31, it says, If a man sins against his neighbor and is made to take an oath, and he comes and takes an oath before thine altar and this house, then hear thou in heaven and act and judge thy servants, condemning the wicked by bringing his way on his own head and justifying the righteous by giving him according to his righteousness. When thy people Israel are defeated before an enemy because they have sinned against thee, if they turn to thee again and confess thy name and pray and make supplication to you in this house, then hear thou in heaven and forgive the sin of thy people Israel and bring them back to the land which thou didst give to their fathers. So what's interesting about that is the land and the temple, by being in the presence, by being in the land and in proximity to the temple, uh, it represents being in good relationship with God. And that when the people uh, uh, would sin uh, over long periods of time and disobey God, then the, they would leave the land and uh, the temple, uh, and we know the history, the temple uh, was ultimately uh, destroyed two times, right? Uh, and so it really uh, tells us something about the relationship of uh, obedience and, uh, you know, and, being, uh, and being in the land. You also uh, have in verse 41, concerning the foreigner who is not of thy people, Israel, when he comes from a far country for thy namesake, for they will hear of thy great name and thy mighty hand and of thine outstretched arm when he comes and prays toward this house. Hear thou in heaven thy dwelling place and do according to all for which the foreigner calls to thee in order that all the peoples of the earth may know thy name to fear thee as do thy people Israel. And that too, yeah. And that they may know that this house which I have built is called by thy name. So you have uh, in Solomon's prayer, praying for Israel, praying for the nations, pray toward this house. This house represents the presence of God. Yes, the essence of God or the presence of God is there, but it's not as if that's the only place where God is. So now when we go today, and as my good friend said, well, it's... This bunch of rocks. Uh, this bunch of rocks represents what God has done. It represents also uh, the exile. How does it represent the exile? Well, because there's no temple there today. Okay? So when we go, it really causes us, I hope, to think, yes, God was faithful. God will be faithful and God is, uh, and God is indeed 
uh, faithful today. How is God faithful today? Because there is a nation of Israel and because we can go uh, and we can walk right up to that wall and we can put our hand right on that wall, you know, and pray. And I will tell you that every time I go, and I'm sure you've had the same experience, there's nothing like walking up to that wall. Uh, and, uh, you know, put your hand on it and, and pray. And, and I brought little prayers that people gave me, and I wrote out a number of myself uh, and stuck them in the crevices in the wall. Does that mean that, like, uh, that if I don't put a prayer in that wall, God isn't reading it or something? No, it's all part of, as human physical beings, what we do that help to draw us to the, to the presence of God. Uh, and when we look at, uh, you know, at that wall today, it reminds us of what was and what will be. And I don't know if you're familiar with it, exactly the logistics of everything. So the Western Wall is actually a retaining wall, okay, that, that uh, Herod built, okay? It's a retaining wall. What, when Herod uh, was the king, there, what he wanted to do is, and this was actually a, it was an okay thing. It was, there was the temple, and he wanted to accentuate it, so he, so he like dug all around it and built retaining walls, so that now it looks like the temple's on top, right? And so that retaining wall uh, is there, but now on the top there's no temple, right? There's the Al Aqsa Mosque and the Dome of the Rock. The Dome of the Rock is not a mosque; it's the Dome of the Rock. Uh, the Al-Aqsa Mosque uh, is, is there. And so it reminds us of exile. Doesn't it just remind you of exile, right? Uh, but at the same time of the mercy and of the grace of God, of Israel returning. And as it says in Ezekiel 36, it talks about returning in unbelief, you know? And, uh, when, you, and when you read in chapter 37 about the bones rattling and coming together, it's a process. The whole thing's a process. And uh, Israel still is indeed in that uh, process. And so when we, when we uh, uh, visit Israel, it has a really a real spiritual dynamic. And it does so for many people of many traditions. Sometimes you see people uh, of other traditions uh, accentuating other parts of uh, the old city and, and Jerusalem, and, and that's okay. Uh, because God gives us the opportunity uh, to have traditions uh, and to uh, and structures uh, to be able to draw close to Him. So, what I will say is is that not only Jerusalem. I mean, that's certainly like the ground zero of tradition and of and of the uh, you know of, of structure and things that remind us of the presence of God and. And I trust that it is a spiritual moment for us, you know, when we go. But I would encourage us all, whether we're talking about uh, Jerusalem or we're talking about something in our own lives, that, you know, having personal traditions, things that remind us of the presence of God, are good things. Because, you know, the fact of the matter is our faith is not only in our head, but we are physical people. And perhaps, for example, perhaps there's a particular place in your house where you like to pray. Even a posture, a particular physical posture 
that you like to be in to pray. Or perhaps you have a Bible that, uh, you know, is very meaningful to you. And, uh, and you like to read from this particular Bible because it brings up memories of, of moments in life at crossroads where, where God really showed up, so to speak, or we could say where we showed up because uh, God's already there, right? Uh, and so what, that, what I'm trying to say is, is that physical structures and, and a bunch of rocks can really be a spiritual place for us. A room in our house or, or, or a Bible or you name it can, uh, you know, can make a difference. And that's why uh, having traditions, uh, things that we do in certain ways in certain times can draw us closer to God. That's why God accentuates a land. And that's why God tells Solomon to build a house. It's not that God has to live in that house. It's not that God would be homeless without the temple. It's for our sake that there's a temple. It's for our sake that specific locations, you know, in Israel are important to places in the Bible. Because what really becomes important to us when we visit Israel and we go to these different places is that perhaps there's a verse that's really important to you and then you go there and then that verse that's really important to you or that passage that's really important to you links up with a physical place. And that really accentuates what that passage means to us. See? Uh, and so we should never... Uh, knock those rocks in the very same way that we should never knock having traditions or even like a liturgy or uh, our own personal little uh, customs and traditions. No, God provides all that. And I, I would just encourage you that, uh, you know, if you are uh, going through a very difficult time, there's nothing wrong with Finding something familiar, and I'd encourage you to do this, find something familiar from a time in the past where God has made a real difference and physically, if you can, go back to that thing or that place or uh, whatever it might be or that prayer or that liturgy. And, and God provides those things for us and I trust that it will be uh, indeed helpful, uh, helpful for us. Uh, and, you know, we look forward, just in closing, we look forward to the day. It's not all done. We look forward to that day that we read about in Zechariah chapter 14, when the Lord will be at the Mount of Olives again. We look forward to that day when, the, you know, there'll be a, a temple on, up there. You know, we look forward to that day when all the nations will come to Jerusalem and worship the King, the Lord of hosts. He'll be sitting on his throne in Jerusalem. Uh, we look forward to that day. And in the meantime, we're able to go and appreciate what has taken place, what's going to happen, uh, and uh, as it accentuates our own walk with the Lord uh, today. So, let's pray. Lord uh, God, uh, I, I pray, Lord, that we would um, find a, a, a good balance between uh, the, the physical uh, touch and smell and sight 
of being in your presence and of the motivation behind it. Lord, I pray, God, that we would have a heart for you. And having a heart for you, we would use our, uh, our creative talents in, in creating worship space, uh, in appreciating uh, where we've been in life as, uh, you know, in, in different situations, and uh, that we might take advantage of physical places uh, that help us to draw closer to you, Lord. And uh, Lord, we thank you that uh, you've given this world, really, through Israel, a room to go to, a place to go to, and that is Eretz Israel. Lord, uh, we thank you that if we can't think of, of any other place, that physical place, uh, uh, that we might sense the presence of God, thank you, Lord, that you have given us the land of Israel. You've given us the remnants of the temple of old, of, of mountains and valleys and, and streams and, and lakes and rivers uh, that we read about in, in your word where tremendous, tremendous things have taken place. And thank you that we can go there today and be reminded of those things and be reminded that you who acted in such a way in the past will do so in the future and is still the God of today. We thank you in Messiah's name. Amen.